media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated this morning, open up your Bibles to Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. Kind of are going to be our text this morning, but we're going to look at a lot of support text and kind of to, to fill that out. If you're here for the first time in a couple of weeks, we started a brand new series a couple of weeks ago, and we're going through Revelation 21, 22. That's the last two chapters of the Bible. And it's really the focus of what eternal life looks like for the believer. And what is it that is going to be the culmination of all of our faith? What does this work of Christ accomplish in each of our lives, and what's the fullness of that? And so uh, we said that in one way we have a difficulty right from the beginning, and that is, uh, remember a couple of weeks ago we gave you a BB? And we said that's about our capacity. That little BB is our capacity to understand, even with God's Word, even with God's Spirit and His power, to understand and grasp the fullness of what heaven will be like. Because now we still exist in these bodies. We're, we're limited in mind. And, and so we don't have that full capacity. But we did say that we have been given enough. And we do have the capacity to be able to understand enough that we thirst for righteousness. That we desire holy living in our life. That we want to be with God. That very much we can anticipate what it's going to be like to be in the presence of God and complete freedom. So it's not that God hasn't given us sufficient news. It's sufficient for us to live very holy lives and, and to thirst for Him and to long to be with Him. Then last week, we, or two weeks ago, we talked about another principle of our thinking of heaven is that most of the questions that we have about spiritual things uh, concerning heaven and just heaven in general, uh, most of it is what we said is on the horizontal. And it's in relationship to our life here. Will we be eating in heaven? You know, uh, we already knew that we're not given in marriage, but at least will we know our family, our grandchildren? Our, uh, we talked about mansions. You know, Jesus said, if I go to prepare a place, uh, if I go away, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so we see all these different things. And so we have a thousand, if not a million questions. But most of those questions are very much kind of based on horizontal life here on earth, right? And the way that the Bible answers that, it's not giving us all the answers to these questions, but it gives us one answer. We get God. And we're not trying to be oversimplistic with that, guys. But the answer is that in the presence of God, in His glory, His glory will be sufficient that all these horizontal questions that we have right now really won't matter. And if they do matter, it will never be a less than. It will always be a more than. Well, my little BB brain can't contain that. I mean, I just can't understand that in its fullness. I I can't understand. You know, we were joking the last time about how when Jesus mentions these mansions uh, for them in heaven, or at least that's one interpretation of them. I don't know that I go that far with it being a mansion, but we're going to live in the presence of God. And so we instantly begin to think of the very practical. Okay, did Carly and I each get one? Are the grandchildren right here? Do we have like, you know, the Lincas estate? Right over here. Horizontal guys. And God gets that. This is the only thing that we've ever experienced. And yet, this morning, I I want us to go into uh, verses 3 and 4 with this understanding that when God invites us to get biblical answers to this place called heaven, let's not add to what God has said. Because I promise you, what God has said is sufficient. 
Now just to get our hearts and our minds to, to believe in and in childlike faith, say, God, that's enough. We get you, God, that's enough. And so that's where we are this morning. We come up and, and we, we admit it, that even the, the Bible uh, writers, inspired by the very Spirit of God, said, hey, we're not going to grasp all this. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Well, this morning we're going to go and we're going to see that even though we can't fully grasp it, what principle can we bring about as we look uh, into heaven and this place that we aspire one day to be? And here's the principle for the day. I'll go ahead and give it to you right up front, and then we'll get into the scripture that supports that, I believe. That heaven is a place of more and no more. It's a place of mores, more than we could ever imagine, and all the blessings and all the, the experience of really understanding the fullness of the work and the victory of Christ, and a place of no mores, no more crying, no more pain. And that brings us to a place that uh, even people that don't attend a church a lot maybe would not even consider themselves really spiritual people, maybe not even consider themselves Christian in any context whatsoever, are somewhat familiar of Revelation uh, 21.4. Now, they may not have ever said, yeah, in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 4, here's what it says. But how many people do you know that can halfway quote Hey, you know, heaven's going to be a place of no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrows, no more death. And they get this general attitude about what heaven's going to be like. And they're not even coming from, hey, here's what the Greek says, or here's what the theology is. or, or any, They're not trying to be technical. They're just saying heaven's going to be this place where, in a way, we escape the, the illnesses, the hardships of this world. And I'm not so sure that we as Christians that would consider ourselves to be the followers of Christ. For us who would say, no, we aspire to be with God and to to live with him forever and ever in heaven. I'm not so sure that from time to time that our attitude about heaven is much more about escaping this world than it is truly just getting God. Would you agree with that? That there's points in your lives that life is so heavy and so hard and so sad and so tiring. You're going, man, I just want to, I just want out of here. It's like the old joke, you know, that the pastor, you know, asked the congregation, how many of y'all want to go to heaven? And everybody in the entire church raised their hand except for one guy. And he went to the guy after us. He said, you know, I asked him, do, do you want to go to heaven? And I said, well, you know, I, I was kind of surprised that you didn't raise your hand. He said, oh, I thought you were getting a list for today. There's a part of us, guys, that there's times in our life, but would you not agree that there's time in your lives that it truly is? Come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we want to escape this much more than just we want to be in the presence of holy God. Let me encourage you this morning. Getting heaven is not escaping the world, but I do believe that God understands that. This world is, this world is tarnished, guys. This is the only place I've ever lived. 
You know, what, what was it that Peter said? What, you know, the three that saw the transfiguration of Christ? I mean, the closest that we're ever going to get as far as, you know, heaven on earth of, of humans experiencing that, seeing that when the glory of God and some of his, Jesus's glory is revealed. And remember when he started going, when they started going back down, what did the disciples say? Can we build tents and just stay here? Now, what was motivating them? I don't want to go back to the troubles that are down the mountain. Or the glory that I've seen here, I want to stay here in the glory of God. Which one do you think is the answer to that? I think that they were so attracted to the glory of Christ and seeing his majesty and his beauty. Let's stay here. And it wasn't so much escapism as it was, now we see just a foretaste of what we get. So, so Christians, when we come to that place where we're going, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The same grace that forgives us of our sin is sufficient for us to know that there's days we're going, hey, I wish the bus was leaving today. But this morning I want to go through the scriptures. And as we look at how heaven is a land of more and no mores, it's not just escaping the hardships of this world. It is that. But it's not just that. Let's go to... uh, one of my favorite places in all the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, not because of, of uh, what happened there, but because it is so foundational for us to understand all the other spiritual truths. I told you long, long ago that we would probably be in Genesis chapter 3 at least every other week for year after year after year because it gives us a spiritual understanding of kind of where we are and all the things of God. So to really kind of grasp heaven... Believe it or not, we actually have to go back to the original garden and the original uh, Adam and Eve and, and God's creation there. That he made everything perfect and he has everything in perfection. And they truly had perfect lives. When we say that heaven is a place of no more crying, no more pain, no more death, pre-sin, before sin, was the Garden of Eden, no sickness, no crying, no death. God created it perfectly, and he created a perfect Adam and a perfect Eve. Before sin came into the world, there was that perfection. And so we begin to see that, but then what happened? They trusted their own understanding rather than the instruction of God. They disobeyed God. They rebelled against God. Whatever term you want to use there, and sin came into the world. And what we see there, again, is the immediate effect of sin upon the life of Adam and Eve, and thus all of us, because we are descendants of Adam and Eve. That is, that sin nature then became a part of our lives, even from the instant of our birth. Look what happens, Genesis chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Again, don't want to think that somehow you're not intelligent people. I preach to intelligent people. I preach to people that I believe, truly, God, through your power and through your word, you're going to speak to them. And so when I ask questions like, did God really kind of go on? I, I'm, I'm totally clueless here. Y'all are very good at hide and seek. We're being silly at that point. God knows exactly where they are, and yet God is not the one to be informed. Adam and Eve are now to be informed of what sin has cost them. And he said to them, 
I heard the sound of you in the garden. That is, Adam responds and says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And there's three things that happens immediately, guys. The effect of sin in our lives, three things happen. I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Three things. There in verse 10. I was afraid. Fear enters the world. Adam had never experienced fear. They had never experienced that fear of separation, that fear of loss, that fear of anything. And all of a sudden, I was afraid. You and I can't imagine not being afraid. Do you know that uh, scientists tell us and doctors tell us that we're born with fears? And we develop other fears along the way, but we have like the fear of falling is, is a natural fear. We're, we're born with that. And there's fear is a part of our existence here on earth from the very beginning in different forms. But for Adam and Eve, they had never feared. And now for the first time, I was afraid. For the first time, if you go back to chapter 2, they were naked, but they were not ashamed. Now it says, I was naked. Shame, vulnerability enters the world. When we think of the word naked, as I've told you before, we always think of it probably in a neurotic sense, because that's just what it usually means in, in, in our caliber of in our thinking. And yet, really, there's a vulnerability that goes far beyond they were without clothes. It's a vulnerability. There was a shame. I was afraid, and I was naked, I was vulnerable, and so what does he do? So I hid myself. Separation. The immediate effect of sin in our lives, folks, that that we had on our first breath as we were born, is that we have felt the immediacy of these in our lives. We were born into the sinful nature, and, and so we are naturally afraid. We are naturally kind of naked and vulnerable, and we are naturally separated, especially from holy God. Now, why do I do that? Because I just, you know, love theology. Yes, I do love theology. <laughs> we can't understand the no mores until we begin to see what came into the world with our sin. Until we see that basis of what sin created, then we don't see what the purpose of this no more or the extent of this no more. Because of sin, Adam and Eve now face the results of sin. I told the group uh, in life group the other night, uh, I'm not trying to say that you're going to find this verse in the Bible or anything, but I always characterize sin when I'm trying to explain uh, to groups Theologically, I, I call it big S sin, and that is the sin nature. And then little s sin is, is my own sin. That doesn't mean that my sins are little, but that's the way I distinguish in my mind about just, I was born into a big S sin, a sin nature from the very beginning. I live in a world of big S sin, capital S, and yet I have my own personal sin. Does it make sense? Well, what was the effect of big S sin and even their little S sin, not minimizing their sin, but but their personal sin? 
death, sickness, pain, disease, heartache. The list goes on and on and on. And you and I experience it in our lives because we were born with big S sin and now we have contributed our own little S sin. And because we were been born with this nature of sin, we have felt its effect all of our lives. Now with all that in mind, with that as a foundation, go to Revelation 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Remember from uh, two weeks ago that the joy of heaven is that we get God? In other words, let's put up no more with that. No more separation. Have you ever felt really close to God? You felt like God was close to you. Sometimes that's out there in, in just the creation that he's made. You go to some marvelous mountaintop. You go to the beach and you're just walking out there and it's the, uh, it's not 105 degrees, but you know, it's like, you know, 82 degrees with a nice little wind. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the waves crash and you're going, oh, okay, God, I feel like you're right here. And we observe a lot of that from creation. You go to Romans and you begin to see how creation does reveal some of this glory of God. We, we see God in his creation. There's moments that maybe in church that we're just in worship and God is just in his spirit and it just comes upon us and we just feel like, okay, God, I, just, I feel you. We have moments when we really do feel close to God. But would you also admit that right now, even as Christians, knowing that the total work of Christ has been applied to our lives, and positionally there is now no more condemnation or separation from God, have there been times that even as a Christian that you have felt separated from God? Maybe it is little s sin. Maybe it is just discouragement. Maybe, maybe sometimes it's the whys. Why me? Why this why now? You just can't figure out the ways of God and God seems so distant from you. Well, one of the promises that we get here right from the beginning is that there will be no more separation. God will say, you are my people and I'm your God. Again, we get God. Remember in the Old Testament that in order to kind of give encouragement to the Israelites after they left Egypt and they're wandering in the, the wilderness because of their own sin, <laughs> they weren't faithful to God and so they had to wander for 40 years. And, and yet even then, God in his grace and his mercy and his love didn't abandon his people. And he said, okay, I want you to build a tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle? And, uh, and there was this pillar of smoke and that represented the presence of God. But then in this tabernacle, there was also, you know, you see all that, there they are camping out. And, and so he gave them instructions of how to build this tabernacle. And you would go in, and there was a place for their sacrifices. And they would take goats and birds and different, you know, lambs, and, and they would sacrifice. And that was a temporary covering of their sin. All of that was pointing to what Christ eventually would do in fullness. And so they'd go in there. And then in the midst, in the, kind of in the back part of the tabernacle, after you had this open area, was this place called the, the place of holies. And they had a front section of it, and that's where the showbread was and the different things like that. 
But then in the back, behind those curtains, what was that called? That wasn't just the holies. That was the holies of holies. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant. Whenever I say Ark and Covenant, everybody goes, yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, it's like, this is our biblical perspective of, of the Ark of the Covenant is Raiders of the Lost Ark. But, the, but they say that, and that was the, kind of the representation of God. How many times a year were, was somebody allowed to go into there? Once a year, and it was only one person, it was a high priest. And we've joked before because they would tie a rope to the leg because he was going there to offer a, a sacrifice and, you know, the, the blood sacrifice for the people, for the nation of Israel. Again, all pointing to what Christ was eventually going to do in fullness and completion. He would go in there. Do you imagine he went in there with fear and trembling? Yeah. Because what if our sacrifice is not acceptable? But why did God send this up? So that he could stir everybody up going, okay, fear and trembling. So you can say, okay, I want you to have some semblance that I'm with you. I want some semblance to know that I have not abandoned you. You've abandoned me, but I haven't abandoned you. In the New Testament, we said that even though we've been unfaithful, he's remained faithful. This is the God that he is, that through Christ, it wasn't just us going out with the sacrifice and crossing our fingers and hoping, I hope he takes it, I hope he takes it. Now we go because Christ has finished of all the sacrifices. He was the final sacrifice and he was accepted by God for our sins. When we think of levels of separation, even here, go back to that, that other picture, Sam, real quick. You know, you're out here, you're camping, and yet you can see God from afar. You can see this pillar. Would that bring you comfort? And as you went in to take your goat or your lamb or whatever and, and sacrifice, would that bring you comfort knowing that you were kind of going before God and you were trying to, in some way, make amends for your sin? Again, it was only a temporary covering. Yeah. You kind of feel the presence of God because somewhere in a distance you could see God. Looks, Bible will be a place where there's no more separation. One theologian said it this way. Now think through this. Using this analogy, he goes, because there's no separation, as he said, it's as if heaven is in its totality the holy of holies. And we are there. There is no temple. There is no structure. Because God himself is the temple. And yet we're in God's presence. That kind of blows my mind. Now go back to Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God will be with them as their God. The entirety of heaven. In one pastor's way of saying, the holy of holies. No temple. God himself is the temple. Now here's the thing. We can experience this positionally right now if we can't practically. Now, why? Because is the work of Christ finished? Yes. His sacrifice for our sins has been finished. And he, rose, he was buried and rose again on the third day. 
The work of Christ is complete. So there's a place theologically, there's a place positionally that you truly cannot be more saved than you are right now. And yet, where do we still live? Right here. And since we live right here, guess what else lives right here? Sin. Big S sin. And unfortunate for us, even our little S sin. And so even though positionally we are now one with Christ, the Bible says that we are citizens of heaven. Not one day we're going to be citizens of heaven. Do you know the day that God saved you and has mercy and grace, you became a citizen of heaven? And he knew that before the foundation of the world. He chose you before the foundation of the world. And yet, do we have the full experience of that? Not right now. I don't want to lessen our theological position because of Christ, because it's then, but, but I want us to understand and grasp that don't think that this is just kind of like a minor version of, of heaven. No, there, even though that part has been done by Christ, we still experience sin and, and all those abstracts of sin in our lives all the time. But look what had happened when Christ died for those that placed their trust in Him. If you this morning, have come to a place where you acknowledge because of God opening His very Spirit, opening your eyes to your sinfulness, His holiness. And He opened your eyes to that, and He opened your eyes that there is a perfect Lamb of God, His Son, Jesus Christ. And you've placed all of your trust to be made right with a holy God in Christ, not your works, not being a member of this church or that church, or doing this or that, but on Christ alone, here's the promise. For you. Hebrews 10, starting with verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. Remember that curtain in the Holy of Holies? That is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Look at verse 22. Let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Can we experience that now? Yes, if you're a believer. Do we know the fullness of that? Positionally, yes. Practically, no. doesn't degrade what Christ has accomplished. But we still have this existence, this effect of sin, both in our lives. Go back and read Romans 6 and 7, and, and it kind of puts all that into place. We can now draw near in what? Really important word right there. The full assurance of faith. In heaven, I don't believe that we need faith. We will see God as he is. Right now, I need faith. How many of you need needed faith just to come this morning? I mean, be, being very honest. Yeah. In heaven, it's not like, okay, worship starts at 9. God, give me the faith to go to worship today because I've heard that this is a 10,000-year one. No, no faith. Now we need to be people of faith. Putting faith in the work of Christ and what's been accomplished, but we require faith. Then, no faith, guys, because we will see the fullness of the victory of Christ 
and we don't have the bodies, the minds, the hearts, everything that he's created to, to be able to understand that and grasp that in full. But now, and this is usually our problem when it comes to our thinking of heaven. Instead of a place of going, okay, no more separation from holy God. I'm always in his presence. He's always before me. I see him fully as he is. We begin to get these ideas of grandeur of what heaven is like. We think that heaven is maybe like the best vacation ever without rain, without 105 degree temperatures. Heaven is an extended, perfect vacation full of fun stuff. It's full of the holiness of God. And my little pea brain right now, my little BB brain doesn't get as excited about that. I'm just being honest with you. As much as, is there going to be golf? Will I be good? Can I play the piano? Because I've never been able to play, play the piano here. So, you know... And our mind goes off into this crazy horizontal things because this is what we're thinking heaven is. And it's not. It's not the perfect place of eternity where if we're a beach person, it's the big beach. If it's, we're a mountain person, it's the perfect cabins. I mean, that's appealing to me right now. Is it appealing? Honestly, is it appealing to you? Yeah. You know why? Because that's a form of escapism. And there's no, there's nothing evil about escapism. It's just it's not the fullness of what we have in heaven. Does that make sense? I mean, I don't want rainy days. I don't want sickness. I don't want separation. I don't want the hardships of life. I do want to be out of here, guys. But heaven is more than just escaping this. And then we get, instead of a bad vacation, instead of a bad marriage, instead of a bad job, instead of a bad family, we get this good family. No, it's we get God and His glory and no more separation. With that as a foundation, with us understanding Genesis chapter 3 and, and, and what Christ has accomplished, now go to verse 4. Again, probably one of the most known verses uh, that we quote or misquote on heaven. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We like that. No more death. No more sadness and mourning. No more crying. No more pain. No more disease. No more cancer. No more depression. Amen. No more of those things. No more of your feelings getting hurt. No no more of, man, everybody got picked except for me. No more, well, you know, they just don't understand me. No more of all that vulnerability, guys. But it's not just in a new and improved version of earth. It is a creation of God that we get to be with him. Now, why is there no more? Here's a question. Why is there no more of these things in heaven? Anybody want to take a gander at that? Because there's no sin. 
A sin that we talked about in Genesis 3 that corrupted everything. Big S sin, little S sin. These things no longer exist because they were the effect of sin. Christ has come. He has conquered death in the grave. He has conquered sin. And even though now you and I truly can claim, if you're a Christian this morning, and you can claim Romans 8.1, there's now therefore no condemnation for, for me, Bobby Linkus, because I'm in Christ. I can claim that today, but I will experience that in fullness when I'm in his presence, guys. Do you get that? Do you, do you make that connection? Heaven is, heaven is not Disney World on steroids, guys. If you're not a Disney World person, it's not that perfect cabin in the woods multiplied by a million. It's not that perfect beach with perfect weather a trillion times over. Those are nice things. But heaven is an aversion of this world on steroids. Is what God intended for you and I and his creation. Heaven is where we will experience the fullness of the work of Christ in conquering sin and everything that was brought into the world in Genesis 3. And it's hard for us to imagine the absence of sin and what it will do and how to experience that because we've never experienced it. But here's the thing. Heaven is ultimately the fullness of the results of the work of Christ. What he's already done. He doesn't have to go back and do this again. This wasn't a trial run. And then one day he's going to go back to the cross again and kind of finish. No, he's already done all the work. It is finished. It is complete. We just have not experienced it in its fullness. Positionally, theologically, yes. But not in experience. Look at verse 4 again. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The fullness of these verses are all the promises that we saw in the Old Testament. All these prophecies. Remember Isaiah? Look what Isaiah said. Isaiah 53, 5. But he that is Christ was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Is there a part of that that we are, can already experience? Yes. Have we experienced it in its fullness yet? No. Psalm 147.3 He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up the wounds. Has God done that? Have we experienced it to some measure? Have we experienced it in full? Not because Christ hasn't completed the work, but because we're still here. Luke 4.18. I mean, these are the words of Jesus. So let's just go to what Jesus said about this, okay? And so just in case the psalmist was off, Isaiah was a little bit, you know, off in his writing. What did Jesus himself say? Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. It was that the mission of Christ. Has he accomplished that? Have we, can we experience some of that? 
And yet the experience isn't full yet. We can have great measure. Enough to spur on our faith. Enough to give us a thirst for righteousness. Uh, for us to finish the race well, as we said a couple of weeks ago. It's not like he said, okay, it's not Sam's where they go, okay, try this little bite. And then buy the 20 pound bag. That's not what God's doing here. He's not teasing us. We, we cannot understand the fullness because of sin. What sin did. Probably you keep on saying that. It's the only answer the Bible gives, guys. It's the only answer I got. Folks, that's what heaven is. The culmination of the work of Christ. The fullness of the experience of the work of Christ. A land of more, more joy than we've ever experienced. A land of no mores, because no more sin. Every sin, gone. Cancer, depression, evil, heartache, shame, confusion, fear, separation and goodbyes. Forever gone. Forever gone. Let me finish with this. Let's go back to Isaiah. Isaiah 25, verses 8 and 9. He will swallow up death for how long? Forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. I don't know what song they're going to play first in heaven. But if they play Amazing Grace, I don't care how many times you've ever sung that here on earth, you'll sing it, not just because, oh, now I can hit the, the, the notes and all that. You'll have a better voice. No, you can sing that because for the first day, you're going to know the holiness unlike you've ever known His holiness before. And so you're going to know grace that you have been saved by because you will be able to recognize that in His holiness just how sinful we were, guys. When we make much of sin, we make much of grace. When we make little of sin, we make little of the grace by which we're saved. But on that day, we will know. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, we kid about... Come quickly, Lord Jesus. There's a part of us, Father, that we say that because we're wanting to escape. And Father, I think you have great patience and mercy and grace for that because, Father, this is not the world that you design. The world that we live in, Father, does not have that perfection, does not have its beauty, Father. The tarnish of sin, our sin, has now tarnished all of our lives. And and so, Father, we do long for a heaven. But, Father, will you help us to see that longing for heaven isn't just an escaping this world. It is that. It is that. No more crying. No more pain. No more separation. No more death. Father, it is those things. But we will be your people and you will be our God. And the fullness of the work of Christ... His death, burial, and resurrection, Father, we will experience in fullness 
on that day. Father, we do pray. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.